Bibles with you tonight. Open up to the book of Numbers with me. <clears throat> we have some uh, exciting ground to cover tonight as we take a look at Numbers chapter 32 and, and on. We'll see. But um, it's kind of interesting because God, uh, I, I don't know how emphatically to say this, I believe that God wants to do uh, incredible work here in us, through us, among us. Um, and I think that a lot of that work that God wants to do, that, that revival that I feel the Lord wants to see poured out uh, among His people you know, around the world, all comes from the same concept. And I think tonight, uh, as we take a look at Numbers chapter 32, that concept is is uh, touched upon. And uh, so, you know, prayerfully, our hearts are prepared for what the Lord has us. I know that uh, that the Lord uh, really laid some things on my heart through it today and uh, in, in uh, just kind of meditating on it and chewing on it a little bit. And I think, uh, really... We, myself included, we like to be comfortable. I like comfort. I don't like to be uncomfortable. We were just talking about the board meeting uh, yesterday, you know, that uh, there are some things, you know, blowing through the air that make me uncomfortable. So I would just as soon skip all that and stay comfortable and just call it good. And, you know, really, as that's been, uh, been my heart within some issues, you know, there's some places you feel okay to be stretched, and there's other places where, you know, it's like that's a stronghold, and you don't want to be stretched there. You don't want to be pulled in that direction. And um, I think the most important thing for us to realize is that well, we need to be willing to be pulled whatever way God's going. Whatever thing, God, whatever thing God's doing. And part of knowing whatever thing that God's doing is God being in that rightful place in your life. That we're spending time with the Lord. We're, we're pressing into Him. Um, I kind of cut my teeth getting close to the Lord by uh, a little saying... Pastor Gerald would drive into our heads. He would say, uh, read your Bible and pray every day. He'd say that every time you saw him. He'd call you, and instead of hello, you'd hear, read your Bible and pray every day. So how are you doing today? You know, and the, the concept rings true. If we are not spending time in God's Word, we're not applying God's Word to our life, we're not seeking God's direction and guidance every single day then we're comfortable in our Christianity. And we have gone as far as we're going to go. If we want more, we want something more incredible, more dynamic, more inspirational, we want something more in our life, then we've got to be able or be willing to do something. We've got to be willing to press in. I used to tell the kids on a football team, if you want something you've never had before, you have to be willing to do something you've never done. If you're going to do the same old thing, we're not going anywhere. We have to go. We have to be willing to say, 
I don't want to do that. (laughs) Which is how I go. I go like that mule kicking and screaming all the way. I don't want to do that. But more than that, more than my fear over that issue or this issue or, or that stretch or the other is, what do you want, Lord? And so often, if we wait till the last minute, right before that decision, and then we pray about it, I think we've waited too long. I think we missed it. You know, when we do a study on Abraham's life, everywhere Abraham went, he built an altar. He, he'd build an altar to the Lord. He'd stop somewhere, build an altar, seek God's face. Every day. That's why when God said to him, Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, to the mountain I will show you, and there offer him as a burnt offering unto me. That's why Abraham never hesitated. Because he knew who God was. He didn't understand everything. But he knew who he was. He spent time with him every day. He trusted him. The book of Hebrews tells us Abraham took his son to that mountain believing even though he slay him, God would raise him from the dead. That's how tightly Abraham clung to what God said. But Lot, on the other hand, Lot we don't really ever see building any altars, seeking the Lord. And when it came time for decision day on where are you going to live, Lot, he chose Sodom and Gomorrah. Not one of his better choices. So, there's a real need for us, individually, all of us. We cannot lead anyone anywhere we're not willing to go. And uh, the truth of God's word is, I can't take you guys any place I'm not willing to go. If I'm not there, you're not coming. Uh, Same way when Fritz is leading worship. Fritz, the worship team, whomever's a part of it, we, they, have to enter into worship. they got to enter into, no matter what's happening, no matter how the monitor blows up and a guitar string breaks, or they, you, you know, all kind of things happen. But it doesn't matter. You've got to go into the presence of God if you want others to follow you. And praise God that that's our goal. You know, that's Fritz's heart. Every single time he, he leads worship and every single time we go forward and we, that's got to be our desire. The, the caution, the fear, the worry is in the United States of America, especially, we have become comfortable. We're comfortable in our religion. We're comfortable with, this is pretty good. Things are pretty nice. I don't want to rock the boat, so to say. I don't want to create turmoil. I kind of like the smooth waters, you know. But we saw last time as we were studying Moses' life, even Moses' final act, the final thing God says, Moses, you're going to do this thing, and after this thing, you're coming home to me, was a battle. Moses' life was battle after battle after battle after battle after battle, and then he saw Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I get tired. And I think, I don't want to fight no more. I've done the fighting, I've done the battle, and it's somebody else's turn. But I don't find it anywhere in Scripture. No place. Caleb, when he was 80, 90 years old, he's saying, give me the giants. I'll go whoop them. 
He wanted another battle. Why did he want another battle? Because he understood something. In order to keep us out of our complacency and comfortability, we've got to be facing that next giant, whatever that next giant is. When did David get into trouble? It was never while he was at war, was it? It was when the kings went out to war and David stayed home. And he happened to go up on his balcony one day and he saw Bathsheba. And that's it. And that's, you all know the rest of the story. So, so the, the idea, the concept that we see here in, in chapter 32 is totally that. It's totally coming to the place where you say, ah, you know, that's great and that's good for all those other people. But I just, I'm happy right here. This is as much of a relationship with the Lord as I ever want. And that's as much of a relationship with the Lord as you'll ever have. In order to experience everything that God has for us, God has to be everything to us. And if it's not, if he's not, then we're going to have the land we're willing to possess, right? Like the children of Israel, wherever you put the sole of your foot, I'll give it to you. But if you don't put your foot there, when the children of Israel here in a, in a couple of books, when we read about the conquest of Canaan, how was the water of the Jordan River parted? It was parted just like the Red Sea. But remember, the Red Sea was parted when Moses held his staff over it. You remember how the Jordan was parted? When they put their foot in it. Prior to putting their foot in the water, nothing happened. See, there's a, there's a constant moving forward understanding, growing, being tested, uh, facing challenges in life that never will ever stop. If you're looking for a feel-good, easy, kickback life, that's not it. it. Because when you live this, when you live your Christianity that way, you're frustrated. You're frustrated because you always feel like something's missing. It's, that's just not, there's something missing. And in order to have it, I think we have to be willing to say, whatever you have for me, Lord, whatever it is. You know, sometimes we feel like, man, I've been doing this a long time. I've been doing this a long time. And it was kind of funny. I, I made a phone call today. Don't worry, we'll get to verse one. But I made a phone call today and I was talking to... Uh, the young man who took my position coaching, I was calling to see how the kids were doing football uh, back in California and uh, just checking up on how they've been. And uh, he says, you know, I was just talking to my wife the other day and we said, uh, she, asked, she asked him, his, his name's Israel, her name's Lucia. So Lucia said, so you think Jackie started coaching football up there yet? And Israel goes, oh no, man, he's past that. He's... <laughs> He's so far done with that. That's it. That chapter's over. He's moving on. And I called him and I says, you know, I really miss coaching football. You know, I don't, I don't know. Next year, I'm going to go talk to somebody about, see if they need help. I don't want to run a team. But there's certain things in our life that we're meant to do. And just like Jeremiah, you cannot do them. But... They just don't let you be. That needs to be the way it is with the Lord. 
What's God want in my life? What's God have for me now? That, that burning deal in your life, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, I, I, I struggle with it. I, uh, to be honest with you, I struggle with a lot of things. Like I, I've been doing worship, playing worship for maybe not as long as Fritz because he's old, but, <laughs> but pretty long. You know, and I've been playing on a variety of places and done it a lot. And then I'll notice that I'll do it and I'll do it and I'll do it. And then pretty soon, if you're not watching, if you're not paying attention, it's just a thing you do. It's just songs you sing. It's just music you play. And you do this because that's what you do. And then all of a sudden you get slammed with Revelation chapter 2 and God speaking to the church at Ephesus and saying, you're doing great things and I love all the stuff you're doing for me, but you left your first love. We, we always have to be willing not to say this thing that God's gifted me in or called me to do has become a burden. It hasn't become a burden. I've lost focus. I, my focus isn't on the Lord Jesus Christ. My focus got to be this is a job. It's not a job. If ministry is a job, stay away from it. Ministry is a call and something that God wants us to, to fulfill. And part of that means when God says, come, we go. And the sad thing about tonight is that call comes, but everybody don't go. Chapter 32, verse 1 says, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw in the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eliezer the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Ataroth and Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elile, Shebam, Nebo, and Baon, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel, is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore they said, If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. Hear what they said? This is good enough. This is good enough. Uh, the the we don't need God's best. It's like when we listen to, you know, the the Lord say that He will give us life more abundantly, and we say, "Yeah, no, I'm okay with how it is. I'm comfortable here." Man, you search the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, find a place where God says, you know, look for that place of comfort and just stay there. It's not going to be there. It's not. And, you know, we, myself, I'm preaching to the choir here, I know. Myself, especially when we start to look at things and we say, man, I'm just tired of doing this. We need to recognize that that's not us being tired of doing something God gifted us to do. That's us losing focus on what God wants to do. And us saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to face the battles week in and week out. I don't want to face the hassles. I don't want to deal with the troubles. And then we just say, well, I'm going to just warm a seat. It's good enough. But it never is. 
They said, we got cattle. And this is good land for cattle. What did God say? I'm going to give you a promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land that's everything I ever want you to experience in this life. Just on the other side of the Jordan. And they say, don't take us over. We want to stay. That's it. And to be honest, I think that's the majority of a problem across the board in churches around the world, especially here in the U.S. I'm comfortable with where my quote-unquote religion is. You know, I, I come worship the Lord. We, I think about how we do a service. So many songs... You know, we, we pray, we, it's, everything's kind of structured out. And I'm not saying that's bad at all. I'm just saying we're comfortable in it. And we sit in that, in that comfort and we say, well, this is it. This is, we've reached the pinnacle. Oh, man, we haven't even begun to crawl out the pit yet. There's so much more that God has. But we don't want to be unwilling to cross over the Jordan River. The book of Romans, we're told that the crossing of the Red Sea is a picture of baptism. If that's true, what's the crossing of the Jordan River? A picture of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And some people say, this is enough. I don't want necessarily everything that God has for me. Well, let's see what happens. So Moses is going to get hot. And Moses said to the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. Moses says, You're making the same mistake we made last time we were here. What are you doing? Have you not been paying attention to the... Last 40 years and funerals every day and the people dying, a whole generation perishing, not entering into the promised land. He says in verse 8, thus your fathers did. Verse 9, from when, for when they went up to the valley of Eshkol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they would not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day and he swore an oath and said, surely none of the men who came up from Egypt, from 20 years old and above, will see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb the son of Jephunai, the, Kez, or the Kenizzite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. Which part of that verse do you want to be in? Because even when we studied, you remember when we studied 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Lord said, of all the people that came, he was not well pleased with most of them. Well, he just listed for you the two he was well pleased with. Two out of <laughs> two and a half million. I mean, that wholly followed the Lord. That said, well, I don't know, maybe they were comfortable with where they were, but they were always willing to take that next step. Whatever the next step was. Whatever that next thing God was directing or calling or the work that God's trying to do. You and I, we sometimes we fight against what... It's like the potter is trying to make a pot, but we're clay that's unwilling to be pliable. 
So we get on that wheel and God spins the wheel and starts working the pot, but we're just with all that's in us fighting every step of the way. The, the, here's a news flash. God will win. He will form the pot into what he wants it to be. How that formation occurs and how much of a lifetime it takes to get somewhere, that's up to us. But he's going to do that work. We want to reach the point where we want to wholly, like Joshua and Caleb, lifting our arms to the Lord and saying, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing, I don't know how you're going to do it, but whatever you're going to do, I'm here. Do it. Make me, mold me, form me to whatever you have, your plan, your direction, your call. I want everything you have for me. I don't want just to be satisfied. I want whatever it is. I, I, I don't want to be in that place of comfortability. And so we have two that whom the Lord was pleased. Verse 13 says, So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander the wilderness forty years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. Literally, he calls them a brood of vipers. Somebody else used that term. John the Baptist used that term when he looked at the Pharisees. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming judgment? What are you guys doing here? You know, you're not wholly following the Lord. Here, Moses sees the same thing in these guys. You're not totally given over to God. You're satisfied with where you are, with what you have, with, with the, you know, the ebb and flow of life. And sadly, sometimes when we follow the Lord, the ebb and flow of life gets all cranked upside down, spun around. It's like being in a spin cycle on one of them front loader, psycho, super V8 dryers or washers my washing machine when it goes into spin mode it sooner or later it's going to fall into the underneath part of the house it shakes the entire house woke up one night thought i was in california in an earthquake slamming the you know they i guess there's a way to fix that but well what would be the fun in that but sometimes when we when we give our heart fully to god that's where we end up but the beautiful thing is God's commandments are God's enablements. God doesn't call us or lead us into a place where He won't equip us to overcome. So we don't have to be afraid. Of course, we are still anyway. What we need to do is learn to trade that fear for the fear of the Lord and realize I can trust Him. Like Abraham, I can trust Him. I know him. I can trust him. I can trust what he's about to do. Well, he says then um, in verse 15, For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. Moses saying, all, we're talking millions of people going to die because you guys are being selfish. What's wrong with you? 
So then they came near to him and said, now listen, chill out. That's a Jackie paraphrase. But that's what they say. Moses, man, why are you getting all uptight? Just relax. Just relax. Let me tell you what we're going to do. They came near him and said, we'll build sheepfolds here for our livestock and, and cities for our little ones, our children. And we ourselves will be armed and ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to, the, to their place. And our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. Look, the plan really is we, we really care about our kids. And, you know, Moses, being out there in war and battle, that's, that's, that's harsh. That's a hard place for little ones and to take care of livestock. So what we're going to do is we're going to build houses here and we're going to build places for our livestock and we'll keep it all here. And then all the men of war will go and make sure that they have the, the land. Well, it sounds logical, right? Man. One, one decision. And they rob all their kids of seeing what God was calling them as men to do. Where's dad? He's off at war. What's that like? I don't know. He left us here. Things are good for us. We're comfortable. Everything's good. We're going to miss out on every lesson. We're going to miss out on every victory. We're going to miss out on every defeat. We're going to miss out on everything. Because dad didn't take us with him. He left us behind. Well, dad went and did the right thing. He fought for the children of Israel. He saw the victories of God. He saw the hand of God moving in, the, in and among the people. He just robbed his family from being a part of it. So they didn't cross. And they're the first tribes to fall. You know how when we watched, you know, Wild Kingdom, Mutual of Omaha, they have that anymore? And you, you see them lionesses looking for something to pick off. You know they don't go barreling into the middle of the, of the herd, do they? No, man, they hit that herd and they're looking for that one that's a little slower, that's maybe a little weaker, that's on the edge. And that's the one they'll get. And that's what happens to Reuben and Gad. That's what happens to them. They're going to fall. They're going to fail. They're going to stumble. It's all going to come unraveled. Because they said, God said, come on, I've got so much for you. And they said, no, we're good here. This is good enough. It's all we really want. This is all we really need. And somehow, from this point to the time of Jesus... The cows became what? Pigs. Remember the story? Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee to the south side of the Sea of Galilee to visit a land called Gadara, the place of Gad, on the other side of the Jordan River. And what he found there was a man that they couldn't even keep chained down that was filled with a legion of demons. And around him, herd after herd of pigs. 
Somehow the cows turned into pigs. And what happened to their children? At least one of them ended up unrestrainable, unchainable, possessed by demons. It all starts. Dad says, I don't need to bring my kids with me. I don't need them to come see. I don't need them to be. I'm going to keep them somewhere safe. Somewhere where they don't ever have to to see it or, or be a part of the things that God's doing. And they kept them so far removed. That's the ultimate story, right? Except for the part where Jesus shows up and casts out legion and gets rid of a bunch of their pigs. And then that guy, you remember that guy, he says, well, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go with you. Wherever you go, I'm with you. It's you and me till the wheels fall off. Jesus, I want everything that you have for me. And you remember what Jesus said? You're not coming with me. You stay here. And he was bummed. Man, I want to go with you. But he stays there and becomes a witness See, God doesn't leave anybody without a witness. God doesn't leave anybody without a word. God doesn't leave anybody without the gift of the Spirit in someone, a voice crying out from the wilderness. Walk straight path. Follow the ways of the Lord. It's what God did for the people there in Gadara. In verse 18, it says, We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. And we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has fallen to us on the eastern side of the Jordan. And Moses said, if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for the war, and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, and afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land will be your possession before the Lord. Well, Jackie, what are you talking about? God let him do it. Sure he did. He lets us be comfortable anytime we want to be. Doesn't he? He told the children of Israel, wherever you put the sole of your foot. So if I didn't put my sole of the foot there, what happened? Did God cast those people out of the land? Nope. He didn't. They left them there. Wherever, as far as we're willing to go with the Lord, God will go before us. And wherever we stop and say, this is enough, that's as far as we're going to go. And I know we all look at our nation and we look at the situation that we see the world in and we know how things are going to spiral and how things are going to happen. But I think sometimes we think, well, there's nothing we can do about it. So I'm just going to stay comfortable. God doesn't call us to comfortable. He calls us to radical faith. He calls us to have a little child wipe out a big old giant. He calls us to have 300 men destroy an army 400 times greater. That's what God calls us to. 
And we read the stories and we see the scripture and we get excited about what God's done and then we wonder. Why don't we see those kind of victories today over the giants that are before us? And I have to say for myself because I'm comfortable. It's good enough. When is it ever good enough? Cracks me up because when I was coaching football and we sat down and watched film, we could have slaughtered the guys a hundred to nothing. And I could have picked out every single thing they did wrong. And the kids used to say to me, Coach, when's it going to be good enough? And I said, never. But when I think about my walk with the Lord and what I want with Him, it's amazing how quickly I'll settle for, that's good enough. It's never. Never good enough. There's always something ahead, something more. And the exciting part, the the joyous, abundant life, blow your mind, incredible Christianity is right there, one step away outside of being comfortable. One step. And then after that, another step. And then another battle. And then another war. And then another fight. And then another struggle. And then more and more issues. And along the way, God's building our character, developing us, making us strong, and and equipping us to be the witnesses God wants us to be. But while we are comfortable, nothing happens. But we still see fruitfulness. I mean, God said that there would be fruit. We still see it, but we're missing so much more. We're missing so much more because maybe for myself, and no question, I am in the tribe of Reuben and Gad. There are things in my life I know God wants me to to adjust, things he wants me to do that I'm unwilling. I know it. There's no question. I'm settling. We can't move forward if we settle. I can't can't have all the stuff that God wants to do in my life occur if I'm there. Got to step out. Got to step up and say, I want more. It's not enough. They're settling for second best. They're okay. And this generation, they're going to be fine. It's the next generation that goes straight down into the toilet. And why? Because they didn't have those examples. They didn't have the struggles. They didn't have the battles. They didn't have the fight. They sat in comfortable. Comfort goes to complacency. Complacency goes to idol worship. Idol worship means they're the first ones to fall to the Assyrian kingdom. First ones. Then Moses said, as you do this thing, and the land is subdued before the Lord, and afterward you may return blameless before the Lord, before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord. Ever heard this one before? And be sure, your sin will find you out. You notice it doesn't say, and the Lord's going to get you. What gets you? Your sin. Your sin. 
Sometimes we can, in that place of comfort and complacency, we can play with sin. And we can say, I'm all right. You know, I got this thing under control and it's not that big a deal. It's a little thing and we just play with it. But the Bible says, be sure sin will get its pay. Nobody gets out for free. Nobody. The Bible tells us, I love your ring. The Bible tells us in Galatians Galatians chapter 6, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, what's it say? So shall he reap. So if I'm playing with sin, what should I expect? There will be a fruitfulness in that sin, right? But that fruitfulness, that, that fruitfulness is, is, is rotten, destructive, destroying. My life sideways is upside down. And all because, and then I'm wondering, God, why am I not experiencing the abundant life? Why am I not experiencing all these great things? Because I'm complacent, I'm happy, I'm, I'm dabbling in little sins that we think are little things, not a big deal. And we're receiving what sin promised. Be sure your sin will find you out. It'll get you every time. I don't care how little it is or how little you think it is. It wasn't very little to Jesus when they were putting the nails in his hands, when they put that whoop across his back. It wasn't a little thing when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That wasn't little to him. But when we get comfortable we get complacent and we play with it and moses wants us to know your sin will find you out you play with it and think everything's good no it ain't good it's gonna come harvest comes and the rules of harvest is you're gonna reap more than you planted that's how it works the good news is that same scripture in galatians chapter 6 says If you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. That means the things that we sow for the Lord in the Spirit work the same way. Fruitfulness, abundant life, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, goodness, self-control. The fruits of the Spirit. How do they they work abundantly in our life? I got to sow them. I got to sow them. I gotta stop. I gotta get out of where I'm okay with these little things. Look what Moses tells them to do as we go on. He says, Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep, and do what is proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, our livestock, they'll be in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. So Moses gave command concerning them to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun. Why did Moses give command to them? Because he knows what? He's going to be gone. Moses isn't going into promised land. He knows his, he's going to stay, yeah, in a manner of speaking. <laughs> And to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle, before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you will give them the land of Gilead as a possession. But if they do not cross over armed with you, 
They shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said to your servants, we will do. We will cross over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan. But the possession of our inheritance will remain with us on this side of the Jordan. So what happens? What happens when, when Reuben and Gad start this idea, Hey, this is what I think we're going to do, and we're going to stay on this side of the Jordan, but we're willing to fight. What happens is the same thing that always happens when we're comfortable. Guess what? It spreads. Just like fire does. You ever been around a believer who is just on fire? And that it's exciting to be around them. And you get around them and you think, man, this is cool. And you do all these things. And you're, that's a dead giveaway that we've been comfortable and complacent. But the good news is, it just takes that little spark. And that fire of revival begins to burn. And it goes from two to three to four. Does it work the other way? Does the clean become unclean when he touches the unclean? Sure he does. What happened? Next verse, look at it. So Moses gave the children of Gad and the children of Reuben and to half the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon. Whoa, 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 where did they come from? Where did the half tribe of Manasseh come from? I'll tell you where they come from. They heard what was going on. Oh, these guys are going to stay here. This is pretty nice. I think we want to stay here too. I think we want to be comfortable. So half the tribe of Manasseh is going to stay behind as well. He gave to him Sihon, king of the Amorites, and of the king of Og, ba- uh, the king of Bashan, and the lands with its cities within the borders of the cities of the surrounding country. And the children of Gad built Dibon, and Ataroth, and Arior, Atroth, and Shofan, and Jazer, and Jogbaha. You should be happy you don't have to read them. <laughs> Beth Nimrah and Beth Haran, fortified cities and folds for sheep. And the children of Reuben built Heshbon and Eli and Kurth, Kurth something, Jarim and Nebu and Baal Meun. Oh, that's interesting. Their names being changed. Baal Meun, you, you may recognize that name Baal. That's the name of a pagan god, a Canaanite godhead. And Shibma, and they gave other names to the cities which they built. And the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it, and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. And Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. Also Jair, the son of Manasseh, went and took its small towns and called them Havoth Jair, the towns of Jair. And Naboth went and took Kenath and its villages, and he called it Nobi after his own name. Interesting, huh? They, they go, they conquer the rest of the land, they build their own cities, and they name it after themselves. Hmm. I'm sure everything's going to work out fine, right? This is the kingdom that I have built. You know what Nebuchadnezzar said? How'd that work out for him? It, all it does is it starts with that one decision. Not going over the Jordan. I don't want everything that God has for me. I'm happy with what I got. I'm I'm happy to commit to the Lord Sunday mornings. I don't know where people got the idea that that that's, you know, the day that we give to God and that's it. That's weird to me. God don't need Sunday morning at all. 
Man, he, 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 <laughs> he wants you in a relationship with him. Sunday morning don't do that. Sunday morning is a tradition. Sunday morning becomes a ritual. It becomes a pharisaical deal that people come to and say, my relationship with God is good. I went to church on Sunday. I'm comfortable. I'm complacent. And I'm not crossing the Jordan. For God to do the revival that God wants to do, God's people have to see where they're at and say, man, I repent. I don't want to stay in this place. I don't want to be here on the other side of the Jordan. I want to cross over. We, we go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, and we, we report for duty. And whatever that duty is. By golly, it might mean you never come to church again. So be it. Do what God's calling you to do. Be who God's calling you to be. Don't worry about the rituals and the traditions. Worry about what is it that God wants to do in my life. God wants me to gather together with the brethren and grow, right? Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is a manner of some and so much more as you see the day approach. Get together, receive strength, move forward. What does God have for our body here? What is it? What is the God's plan? God's plan may not have anything to do with adding on bigger space and making bigger parking lots and and building some kind of kingdom here that one day we can look around and say, wow, look at the kingdom. Oops. So who cares about any of that? When does heaven erupt? When one sinner turns. One person gets saved. What is it that Jesus told his disciples? Go into all the land, all the world, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Make disciples of all men. Lead people to Jesus. That's God's call. But God does that a number of different ways in different bodies, doesn't he? We don't, he don't cut, cut us all out of the same cookie cutter. He's got a direction, a plan. And in order for God to do the work he's got to do, we as, if you would, would you know, just kind of get this picture in your mind, as his children of Israel for here have to say, we're all going over. I'm all in. Not part in, not a little bit in, not you can have everything in my left pocket, everything. I'm all in. And let God do the work. Let God begin to accomplish that goal that he wants to do in our life. Jesus said, these things that you've seen me do and greater you shall do. What was he talking about? Was he, was he only talking about the miracles he did? And greater works than Jesus did. You and I have an opportunity to, to extend to someone's salvation. Jesus did the work of salvation. We get to bring them to him. Bring them to that place where they get saved, where their whole life changes, where their whole families change, where everything in their total existence is radically changed forever. Can you imagine the feeling it is when you change someone's everything? 
when everything in their life is never, ever going to be the same again. I had an opportunity when we went to the Philippines. We were ministering at an orphanage there called the Rainbow Orphanage. And, and you have girls that are, are, are part of what's called the Agape Girls, who's the only thing that they all have in common is they were part of the Philippian sex trade for children. And some of them, at one, two years old, were part of it. Some of them were kept in cages and traded to, to guys. And every one of those kids, life is radically changed by the love of Jesus Christ. You wouldn't even, you couldn't even imagine. If you just went and saw them, you, couldn't, you wouldn't be able to pick out which ones lived in cages. You wouldn't be able to pick out which ones suffered, which ones were barely alive, which ones had been beaten within inches of their life, uh, which ones still had death threats on their life. You could not tell them from anybody else. The world will tell you once a kid's been treated like that, they're screwed up for life. That ain't what God says. God says you bring them to me and I'll change everything. We get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. But in order to answer the call, we've got to step up and cross the Jordan River. We've got to go across to the other side. We've got to see what else God has for us. We've got to go. And in order for us to take that step, what do we have to do? We've got to look at chapter 33 because chapter 33 is the history lesson. How do we move forward? We look back and we go, wow. Every one of us, if we look back in our life, see the fingerprints of God. You will see the fingerprints of God. This situation, that, we might call them coincidences. You know, I just happened to bump into so-and-so, or this just happened to ha- happen. or that, that, that doesn't exist. That's a fingerprint of God in your life. When we look back, we can see them. When you look forward, <laughs> you can't. But when you look back and you remember them, it gives you the faith you need to step forward and say, then if they were there then, they'll be out there. I just have to believe. Trust. Move forward. So Moses gives them a history lesson. Chapter 33. He says, These are the journeys of the children of Israel who went out of the land of Egypt by their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. So he's going to give us a summary of the 42 camps of the children of Israel. The 42 camps that they go through. Let's check it out. Now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journey from the command of the Lord. And these are the journeys according to their starting points. They departed from Ramses in the first month of the 15th day of the first month. And on, that, on the day after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of all the Egyptians. So that is the 15th of Nisan, the day after Passover, the first day of their year becomes their, their religious new year. The Lord spoke it to them in the book of, of Exodus. Uh, literally, I think we're following Exodus chapter 12 to 19 as we go through these first 15 verses. He's rehearsing. Listen, look what God did. For the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them. Also, on their gods, the Lord had executed judgment. Do you remember we talked about each one of the plagues being a judgment to the gods of Egypt? Well, this is why we say that, because Moses tells us that in the book of Numbers. Then the children of Israel moved from Ramses and camped at Sukkoth. And they departed from Sukkoth and camped at Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. 
And they moved from Etham and they turned back to Pihahiroth. Wait a minute. You remember each one of these places? There was a meaning to the name? Sukkoth. That's a temporary, the, the word for tabernacle, tent. First they learned that life isn't all about what we possess in this life. We are only visiting. We're camping here. Then they go from there to Etham, which means with us, where God showed them He is with them. He guided them. They saw the pillar of fire in the cloud, remember? And then after Etham, they, uh, they traveled and came to Pihahiroth. Look at this, Pihahiroth, which is east of Baal Zephon, and they camped near Migdal. You remember where that was? That's the rock in the hard place. That's right at the, the, the dead end going to the Red Sea. God ever took you to a rock and a hard place in your life? And there was no way out? And the enemies are coming down all around you? That was Pihahiroth. That was that, that place. And they moved, or then they departed from there, from before Hahiroth. How did they depart? They passed through the midst of the sea into the wilderness. So they went three days' journey into the wilderness of Etham and camped at Mara. Remember Mara? Mara was bitterness. Ever been in a place of bitterness with the Lord? How did they cure their bitterness? Do you remember? They cast a tree into the waters. When they put the tree in the waters, the waters turn from bitter to sweet. What's the tree symbolize? The cross of Jesus Christ. So that means our bitterness can be washed away when we look at our bitterness in light of the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ washes all that makes our lives sweet. It makes sense out of the chaos that occurs to us. From uh, Mara, they came to Elam. Elam. Elam means uh, rest. That's that place where they had all the palm trees. It was like a, a little resort place where they had all the water. And, you know, every once in a while, God gives us a time of rest. Praise the Lord, right? We should enjoy those times. Because <laughs> there's another battle coming right afterwards, right? After Elam... From Elam, uh, they camped by the Red Sea. They moved along the Red Sea and camped in the wilderness of, of sin. And they journeyed from the wilderness of sin and camped at Dovka. And they departed from Dovka and camped at Elush. And they moved from Elush and came to Rephidim. Rephidim. Rephidim is where they had no water. Where there was no water for the people to drink. Rephidim is where the rock was struck, split, and water gushed out. So that they would be able to receive water. Three days without water. The rock was struck. Water comes from the rock. They have everything that they need. Then from Rephidim, they moved uh, from the wilderness of Sinai and camped at at Kibroth Hatava. And they departed from Kibroth Hatava and camped at Hazaroth. They departed Hazaroth and camped at Ritmah. And they departed Ritmah and they camped at Rimah and Perez. And they departed from Rimah and Perez and they camped at Libna. Then they moved from Libna and they camped at Risa. These are easy. And they returned from Risa and they camped at, uh uh-oh, Kihilah. Anyways. And they went from that place and they camped at Mount Sefer. And they moved from Mount Sefer and camped at Harada. And they moved from Harada and camped at Mekiloth. And they moved from Akiloth and camped to Tahath. And they departed from Tahath and they camped to Terah. And they moved from Terah and they camped at Mithka. And they went from Mithka and they camped at Hashmana. And they departed Hashmana and they camped at Maserah. And they departed from Maserah and they camped at Beni Jakin. And they moved from Beni Jakin and they camped at Hor Hagidgad. And they went from Hor Hagidgad and camped at Jabatha. 
<laughs> and they moved from Jabatha and they camped at Abrana. And they departed from Abrana and they camped at Ezi and Gebir. And they moved from Ezi and Gebir and they camped in the wilderness of Zin, which is Kadesh Barnea. You want to know the very cool thing about God? That whole thing we just went through was their journey to Kadesh. You know how much time he spends on the 38 years in the wilderness? One verse. You want to hear it? And they moved from Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor and boundary of the land of Edom. Did you sense 38 years go by? You know the awesome thing about God? He never focuses on our failures. When you look at the Hebrews chapter 11, the honor roll of faith, does he talk about all the failures of those men and women of faith? No. Why? Because as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. God never focuses on our failures. Who does that? Yeah, Satan and us. Sometimes Satan helps. He whispers in your ear, I can't believe you did that. Did you call yourself a Christian and you said that or you acted this way or you did that? I can't believe you did that. Does condemnation ever come from God? No. Romans 8.1 There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What comes from the Lord? Conviction. The Lord convicts. He says, hey, back here. Back this way. So God lays out all this stuff, all these things that took place, and he spends one verse on the 38 years. One verse. That's it. Just kind of mentions it in passing. There was some more wandering. One of the things I like as we go through this, and and we shared little snippets of it in the beginning, but I like another uh, uh, fella who teaches out of the Bible believe that everything in here is here for a purpose. And that if we understood all the meanings of all the names of all those places God stopped, then we would unlock part of the, the journey of life that God does with every one of us. Just like we see it in the beginning, right? Life is temporary first. Then, then He tells us He's with us. Then He brings us to a rock and a hard place. Then we cross the Jordan And then we find a dry place and God gives us water from the rock. And everywhere you go along the journey, man, we're we're right there in our journey of life. And that's just getting them to the choice. Are you going to cross or not? When they didn't cross, only one verse. Why? Because in them 38 years, nothing happened. You know, the sad thing is that there are churches across... This nation and nothing has happened in for 38 years? Man, I don't want that to be us. Something's got to be happening. If it ain't happening, we're, we're sleeping. And Romans, was Romans 11, chapter 11, verse 13 says, Awake out of sleep. For now your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. Hey, it's time to wake up. It's high time to awake out of sleep and get busy. Get prepared to move and do the things that God's called us to do. Well, then he goes on. Then Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord, and he died there in the 40th year of the children of Israel. And they came out of the land on the first day of the fifth month. And Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. Now the king of Arad, 
the Canaanite who dwelt in the south of the land of Canaan heard of the coming of the children of Israel. So they departed from Mount Hor and camped at Zalmona. They departed from Zalmona. Come to me, Argentina. They departed from Zalmona and camped at Punon. They departed from Punon and camped at Oboth. They departed at Oboth and camped at Ejiabarim and the border of Moab. They departed from Egypt and camped at Diban Gad. And from Diban Gad and camped at Alman Diphthalam. They moved from Alman Diphthalam and camped by the mountains of Abiram before Nebo. And they departed from the mountains of Abiram and camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. I wonder what that was like for Jericho. They camped by the Jordan from Beth Jesimoth as far as Abel Acacia Grove in the plains of Moab. So listen, we got up to their choice, one verse over 38 years, and now we just went through all the encampments preparing them to go. This is all the new generation. From the part where we stopped, moving forward, new generation, moving, getting ready to go. Then we come to the place where where Gad and Reuben decided not to go. But listen, the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, and he said, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan, not if, when you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you will drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroy all their engraved stones, Destroy all their molded images. Demolish all of their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it. For I have given you the land to possess it. Hey, God said, get rid of it all. Get rid of it all. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't keep one picture. Don't keep one magazine or newspaper don't keep one of their idols don't keep anything oh i read this and i gotta make a decision because some of the things on that list i have in my life some of them i got some things in my life that i know god says you can't move forward with that it's going to hold you back and you have to answer the question all over again. Are you willing to come across the Jordan? And leave that on the other side. Leave it behind. Oh, come on. I keep, come on, I can tell you all the justification for it. I've been telling myself justification for things forever. But I can also tell you what God's Word says. That thing that you keep will always be an irritant for you. The Bible says it like this. Cast off every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares you and run the race with endurance that God has called you to. Cast off every weight and that sin that so easily ensnares you. Which one of the things in the land are we holding on to? Which one of the things? Which pictures? Which movies? What music? What thing is holding us back? Oh, come on. What's the big deal? It doesn't make any difference. I don't know. I I don't know. You answer that with the Lord. I know I hear God screaming in my ear. That's what I'm talking about. And I can walk out of here tonight and I can go home and justify it all the way to the house and sit down on the couch, put my feet up and get comfortable all over again. And nothing will happen. 
or we can make radical changes. Does it earn my salvation? No. Salvation's already done. What does it do? It enables me to move forward. It enables me to be everything that God wants, to accomplish everything that God wants to do in my life. Hey, I'm not trying to put on my convictions on you. You got your own. And everybody knows what they are. I don't even have to, to get into your business. You know what they are. You know what the Lord's already speaking it in your head right now. That's what I'm talking about. And we can go home and say, eh, no big deal. And God will answer that question just like he did Reuben and Gad. You can stay here. You can stay in this place. He said, wipe out everything. Everything that hindered, everything that would pull you away from God. Anything that will stop you from experiencing everything that he has. Uh, It is a weight. Nobody who is running a marathon straps a 45-pound plate to their back and takes off jogging. Nobody. Why? Because it's stupid. We do that in our Christian walk all the time. We call it liberty and freedom. Are we free in Christ? Absolutely. Does it change our salvation if I listen to this or watch that? Not at all. You're saved, you're good, you're squared away, you know, and you're comfortable. And you're not moving forward. If we can look back at any time in our past when we were more on fire with the Lord, then we have not moved forward. I used to tell the kids on a football team, if you're not moving forward, you are falling behind. There's only two directions and no such thing as standing still. I'm either moving forward or I'm sliding back. He said, get rid of everything. Wipe it all out. You'll divide the land by lot as inheritance among your families. To the larger, you will give a larger inheritance. To the smaller, you'll give a smaller inheritance. Everyone's inheritance will be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from whom or from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes, thorns in your side, and they will harass you in the land where you dwell. Hey, newsflash. When the nation of Israel, they took Jerusalem back, you know what they did? They let everybody stay. How'd that work out for them? What did God say to do? Get them all out. Get rid of them all. Get rid of everything. Everything that there is that's going to separate you or withhold you or hold you back. God said, get them all. Wipe them all out. Utter destruction. Everything gone. Man, I was going through this today and I'm like blown away as I'm, as I'm reading it and I'm thinking, wow, God, you have to be so convicting. It's uncomfortable. He's got to wake us up. He's got to wake me up. He's got to wake us up. There's stuff for every one of us. My prayer tonight would be we don't walk out and start making excuses. Just... Want something that we've never had before. We've got to do something we haven't done. God said, cut it out. Get it out. 
Get rid of it. Move it. Leave it behind. Because if you don't, it will become irritants in your eyes. Thorns in your side. Harass you in the land where you dwell. And moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. Remember what happened to the children of Israel? They get there. They conquer most of the land. They throw out most of the people. And the ones that they leave in the land, they start to worship their gods. And they start to do the same things the Canaanites did before them. What did God do? He took them out of the land too. He took them out. He brought them back, but he took them out. He had to cure them. He had to cure them. So as I was looking at these two chapters, man, God's just screaming in my ear. These, this is, these two chapters are a key to revival at Calvary Chapel Buell. It's a key to revival for Jackie. It's a key to revival for my family. I think it's a key to revival for us. And all there is left to it is to do it. God will guide us every step of the way. Don't have to be afraid. But we do have to be obedient. What God wants to accomplish in the body, in, in, the, in the realm of the church, is to make the church not so much relevant the way the world sees it, but relevant the way God sees it. Not that everybody says, oh man, I really like the music, or oh, I really like this, or that guy's really funny, or that guy's whatever. But that we are who God's called us to be. And if we do it like squares, who cares? If it's God's way, it's fruitful. We just got to do what he's doing, where, where he's moving, how he's leading. We got to recognize burnout in our life is a clue. And that clue isn't that we're getting burnt out. That clue is that we have left our first love. We got to get back. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2, Remember, repent, and redo. Remember from where you have fallen, repent, change your direction, and do the things you were doing in the beginning. Think back to those times. Let that be our guide. And then let's bring revival. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We can study your word. We thank you for an opportunity to just be able to sit down together as family, Lord, and just uh, allow your spirit to, to mold and to make, to move, to, to soften our heart with oil, Lord, to, 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 to dig up that fallow ground and make it able to receive the seed of your word. Father God, as you are speaking to each of us, Lord Jesus, as your spirit is anointed, as your spirit is uh, um, guiding and leading and, and, and sharing within each of us, God, that, that direction, Father, equip us. Make us like Joshua and Caleb, who fully followed the Lord with everything. If it's for you, then I'm in. If it's not, I'm out. I want to be clear. 
I want it to be when Jesus returns, when he calls me home, he knows who I am. He knows what I'm about. The people around me know what I'm about. My neighbors, my friends, my family, everybody knows where I stand. Lord, I want it to be clear. I want it to be relevant to you. And stop worrying about whether or not it's relevant to the world. It's either true or it's not. And if it's true, then I need to do what's right, what you're calling, how you're directing. So, Father, be glorified, Lord Jesus, as we turn our hearts and eyes toward you. Be glorified as we seek your anointing, Father, your blessing, your touch, your your guidance, Lord, that we would recognize and realize it's not about everything else. There's a lot of stuff we do to live in this world, but that's it. That doesn't define us. What defines us is our relationship with you. May we be defined by that. I'm not a farmer. I'm not a rancher. I'm a believer. I don't do this and I don't do that. I'm just a believer. Make our colors clear, Lord. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory as you do your incredible work. As you build... Your kingdom, the only one that matters. May we be a part of it as we surrender our our will to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.